Right now, though, we are continuing to talk about a story that I think has a lot of people saying, are we back here again? Talking about the idea of bringing back the temporary temporary bike lane to part of Stanley Park. And Camille Dumont, who is the chair of the park board, talked about this on the Linda Steele show yesterday. And this is his response talking about how some of the businesses will be impacted. Yeah, the horse and carriage issue is a little bit complex. And certainly, uh, you know, Jerry O'Neill, who runs the horse and carriage, will be at the table as well in consultation. And we'll have to figure that out should the board decide to go this route. Uh, I do think that lessons were learned last season. Uh, actually, many lessons were learned last season, and I think we'll be in a better position to start out this year with you know those advantages. Uh, I don't personally see a canceling of the horse and carriage happening because of this myself, but I do think it would be nice to find you know a compromise that works for for everybody. Well, Jerry O'Neill, the owner of Stanley Park Horse Drawn Tours, is on the line with us now. Jerry, thanks so much for joining the prog- program. Thank you very much, Jill, for having me. Uh, we talked to you, uh, it was probably around this time last year, maybe a little bit further into the spring. What are your thoughts on hearing that this is a motion that's coming back to the Park Board for consideration? Well, you know, at the end of the day, the Park Board is the governing body. I mean, really, um, unfortunately, there's not much we, we could do at the moment other than trying to explain to us trying to explain to them that, you know, we, we've been consultant last year after the cones, those beautiful cones were put out. You know, we made some recommendations which uh, microscopically feudal things were changed. Um, for, for Mr. Dumont to say, oh, we're going to be at the table, well, nobody ever approached us this year. Um, what really, one of the things that really gets me is this coming Monday, it's close to the public. You can't even talk. Right. You know, it's... Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to make a reference um, like we're like in a different country, but, you know, it, it really doesn't seem so uh, democratic, democratically uh, inclined with, uh, unfortunately, the current board that we have now. I mean, staff don't return emails. You phone them. It's like it's easier to get all of the prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's very frustrating. Uh, when he talked about as well, and it wasn't in that clip, but he talked about this yesterday as well, uh, talking about the climate emergency that has been declared by Vancouver City Council. They are wanting to reduce the number of car trips that people take. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, I mean, we all want to save the environment. Definitely, I'm all in favor of wanting to be part of that. But I'm really wondering how... Uh, closing one lane and pushing twice as many cars in one lane is going to help. Or what about the idling? Uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, you know, and I think there's ways to to reduce or to try to promote um, people to come out of their cars. But there's people that actually are physically challenged or elderly's and so on that they can't. And it's um, I find this a bit of slap in the face. It seems that every level of government the last 12 months trying to help. Well, God help me. We've done just over 5% of our revenues last year compared to the previous year. And the one that I think should be there to at least listen to us, trying to work with us, is our direct landlord that's totally ignoring us. You know, and they go in public and telling them that we're part of the consultations. I mean, the only thing they've been consulting is the squirrels, the raccoons, and maybe the the coyotes. I guess they haven't been able to catch them. 
totally frustrating. Uh, you are one of the businesses uh, I know we've heard uh, from the, the restaurant in the park, one of the restaurants as well. They closed. Uh, they're saying now uh, that if this goes through and this goes back to the scenario that we saw last year, they probably won't even reopen because there's no point in them doing that. What does that say to you as far as the number of people who are employed and the number of businesses? Because we don't often equate businesses and jobs with that park. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really wondering... Uh, you know, like if you count all the businesses around the park, including the aquarium, the nonprofit, all the associations that come and play uh, softball, crickets, I mean, you name it, the list goes on. You know, I'm sure there's a thousand, if not more, people that are relying on a job. We have lots of students. We, we have people that actually are retired that works for us. We have a variety of people, you know, and I would say our rent here. Um, with all the concessions, by the way, the parks board concessions have been talked about it. I mean, this is another huge uh, money making for the parks board. Uh, we'll not be paying rent. We're probably looking in the neighborhood of $5 million. Where will my dear friends on park board, the commissioners, where will they get the money? You know, it seems they're allergic to businesses. You know, is there something a sin about this in Vancouver, particularly with the parks board? You know, Every dollar that we make, they make money, and then that money could be reinvested in either the maintenance of the community services and so on. Is there a problem? It seems that they're, they're on a crisis management. You know, oh, they'll deal with it later. You know, very, very irresponsible. What do you see in the park as far as, uh, you mentioned the cars idling, especially when it was down to one lane. If cars got behind you, uh, the horse-drawn carriage, there was no way to really get around. Uh, Did you see dangerous moves as far as uh, people trying to pass or speeding? And even uh, I saw on social media, police did a bit of a a traffic sting there. I think it was this past weekend and and did catch people who were speeding who were going well above the 30K limit. What kinds of things do you see and what solutions do you have to that? Well, we have footage. One of the solutions would really, it would not be ideal, but it would be better than having, imagine a horse and carriage at three kilometers an hour, or let's call it five miles an hour, you know, and then the cars behind. So we have footage, um, rolling footage of dash cam that we had that the cars are passing to the right totally ignoring the cone, going over the cones on the blind corner, missing kids and seniors. And for the people that come to the park, the things that the extra lane is a safe, it's totally a false sense of security. And it's just an accident wanting to happen. We, we talked to staff about it. We did everything what we did. It's like you may as well talk to somebody from a different planet. They do not return your calls. They ignore you. We had a couple of meetings. It's like you're talking to a deer. I mean, they're looking at you like they're, they're from a different planet. Uh, this, as you mentioned, this is coming uh, before the board uh, on Monday, I believe it is. It's not an open meeting, not open to the public. Are you concerned that this is likely going to go ahead no matter what? Well, you know, I think it's going to go ahead. Uh, they're not finished with us. I mean, what I mean with us, the public, the public wants to be consulted. I mean, the numbers that Mr. Dumont came with, 11,000 of those people on their survey, 70% of those people are in favor. Okay, let's assume 70% is roughly 8,000. It's actually a bit of 8,000. Well, the survey themselves, I know I did it. I could go online 5, 6, 10, 20 times to do the same survey. They had no way of gauging who was coming online or not. So those numbers are all skewed, you know. And then we have a petition as, as roughly 30,000 people, which is more or less 
four times the number they have that says no for the bike lane. And they say, you know what? I'm drinking different type of Kool-Aids than you, Jerry. We're going to go ahead and put that bike lanes anyway. Hmm. So at one point, it's us. You know, we have illegal documents. We all do all the businesses to be in the park. We don't want to exercise that. Nobody wants to do that. But, you know, you have to operate in good faith. And this is totally bad faith. I mean, this is in capital, on the line, and in red. Well, Jerry, what will you do uh, if um, if this does go ahead, and it looks like it's very likely going to, and it's another summer with that one lane, what will you do with your business? Well, I'm at loss because I've got staff that's going to school, and we have lots of students. We've got students being with us for five, six, ten years. We've got staff that's been with us for 25 years plus. You know, and last year we went from... Roughly uh, several dozen, 30-plus staff, all the way down to six, seven staff, you know. So it's, um, it's, it's, I don't know. I really didn't expect that, to be honest with you. I'm not surprised, but uh, unfortunately, I didn't really expect, I thought this year they would be more reasonable. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens on Monday, although I know a lot of people think it's probably a foregone conclusion. Jerry, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again, but thanks so much for joining the show today. Thank you very much, Jill, for having us. Well, coming up, we are going to talk more about that decision to delay the second dose of vaccine in this province, find out what other provinces are doing about that as well. Right now, though, we want to revisit a story we talked about last year. You might remember, although it was several months ago, Conservation Officer Bryce Cassavant was on the program talking about a legal victory, and it was a very good news story. Well, he is back because there is another glitch in this tale. Bryce Cassavant, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we wanted to check in with you because it sounds like uh, even though you were supposed to be reinstated and get your job back, that's not happening. Yeah, well, you know, I, my position is that I don't need to be reinstated. I don't need to be rehired. I have a valid uh, and lawful appointment as a provincial conservation officer, and I have a lawful right to return to work. And I... And being prevented from returning to work, and it's um, it's just gut wrenching here. Uh, so, what is act- actually happening then? And, and maybe back up a bit. Uh, when we last talked to you, we, we were talking about uh, victory in in the sense of, of a legal victory. So, what's happened since then? Well, I said, you know, to paraphrase, I said, okay, well, with all the legal issues behind us and the law on this now settled, uh, I wasn't treated properly. I wasn't dismissed properly. Um, and so with all that behind us, great, I'll see you Monday. And I'm being told that there's no position for me and not to, not to report to work. And, and because, the, are they giving you a reason other than there's just no position? They, well, I had, my lawyer did file a, a petition seeking a um, court order for this suspension. You know, in legal terms, I'm still suspended as an officer, right? And that's, so I've been suspended from duty for almost six years now. So it doesn't make sense. And that's what the this recent petition is about, is it looks like we're going to have to go back to court to get this suspension lifted. You know, even though I've been successful in the BC Court of Appeal and I've been successful in the Supreme Court of Canada, the suspension's remaining intact. The government is not course correcting the errors in their decisions to ter- to terminate my services. And so we don't know. We don't know what's going on. 
And to to refresh people in case they've forgotten this case as well, and and to make sure I'm I'm still clear on this, this was the BC Court of Appeal ruling, uh, the one last June uh, that basically threw out your firing and and confirmed the the difference between a special constable that somebody that carries a firearm that discipline matters would follow under the fall under the police act rather than the ministry that you work for which happens to be the ministry of the environment is that correct correct uh, and so it, you would think, uh, looking at that, that that clarifies it beyond uh, that, that it would clear up any questions that there might be and that you could go back to work. Correct. That, that is the, the BC Court of Appeal nullified the actions against me um, that were taken by the BC government and um, cleared the path for me to return to work. And, and I have a provincial appointment as a, as a conservation officer, but I'm being prevented from returning to work. So in my view, I have a, as a result of the BC Court of Appeal decision, I have a lawful right to immediately return to work. I don't need to be reinstated. I am a provincial conservation officer and I'm being prevented from returning to work. Now, the government right now is saying, um, well, a petition's been filed, so the matter's before the court, and we're not going to comment on it. And in in the in the concept of um, discretionary decisions, ministry uh, decision makers have implicit authority to correct errors in the decisions they've made. So there's no reason for me not to go to work. The ministry, the ministry staff have the power and authority to allow me to report for duty, um, but they're not allowing me to report for duty. And it's becoming extremely frustrating to continually be doing with dealing with what should be common sense. What kind of a toll is this taking on you? Well, it's it's a huge emotional toll. I've been involved in law enforcement since my early 20s, as my affidavit laid out. You know, I started in the Canadian Forces Military Police, um, initially at a reserve unit, and then worked with the regular force and eventually made it over to the Conservation Officer Service. And, you know, this has been, law enforcement's been my life, um, my life's work and uh, not just in academia but in, in practice as well and I have a desire to get on with my life and I'm being prevented from doing that. I, I, from talking with you it's clear that you I don't know if love is the right word but you are passionate about your job you were passionate about being a conservation officer that's why you make those decisions and that's why you were willing to, to go out there and to make that decision about those cubs knowing probably that it could get you in trouble do you regret anything that you've done along, along this point or, or during your career? Well I've, I've always maintained that um Constables, in in my experience, constables in Commonwealth jurisdictions can never be ordered to kill animals, human or otherwise. The discretion to shoot or not to shoot will always lie with the constable. And indeed, the responsibility, once the trigger has been pulled, will always lie with the constable, as we've seen um, throughout history. So, you know, my decision not to shoot the cubs was my decision to make as a duly appointed constable. An order to kill is an illegal order. And I've always maintained that constables uh, and soldiers, for that matter, have a responsibility to decline illegal and unlawful orders. And kill orders are inherently unlawful orders. So I don't, in that sense, uh, you know, I don't regret the decisions that I've made because I feel that I've done my job as a constable for this province. And 
and you know, let's get on with it already. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, you know, the law is settled. The courts have rendered their decision. You know, it's time to spare my family and spare the taxpayer any further shenanigans. You know, the the law is settled on this. You know, and it's time to move on. I'm sincerely hoping that there is a diplomatic solution um, to these issues without the need for further uh, court proceedings. And I believe the government has the inherent jurisdiction and authority to correct, to course correct this situation. And I hope that that is done uh, diplomatically uh, without the need for further involvement of our courts. Do you get the impression, and again, the ministry not speaking, saying that this matter is still before the courts, do you get the impression or have you been told anything that part of this is because you ruffled the wrong feathers? Uh, not not recently. Um, I've had, you know, as you can imagine, the last few years, there's been many meetings with, you know, I, I don't even know if an army of lawyers is the right word, but a, a swarm of government lawyers at every very different, you know, multiple levels of, of counsel involved. And so these discussions have happened and you know, that came up, that has come up in the past, you know, Bryce just ruffled the wrong feathers and they just can't have him back. But that's not what I've heard recently since the court decisions. And so it's leaving me in a place where, you know, I, I would like to know what's going on and why I'm being prevented from returning to work. And have you ever considered leaving and, and, and saying this is just not worth it, this is too much, I'm going to go do something else? Or is it is it the, the principle of it and because you do enjoy this job? Well, it, it, there's, there's a deeper issue here, you know, that we need to look at. We're talking about law enforcement officers. We're talking about the constabulary. So if we can just bully and push around the constabulary when we don't like the decisions they make or the investigations they do, where does that leave the inherent independence of our policing services? And so, you know, while there may be a discussion of a resignation in the future, that doesn't, that doesn't solve the current issue, which the right thing to do is to comply with the court direction and allow me to return to work under my lawful appointment. What happens next is, is a future conversation. But right now, we need to comply with the law as it's been settled by our courts. I need to comply with it. The government needs to comply with it. Most certainly, the union that represents its officers needs to comply with it. And we need compliance. We need compliance with the law regarding constabulary discipline. And then everybody can move forward. But it starts there. All right, Bryce, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks again for coming back on the show. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for being with us. So we're going to talk some real estate now. And for the sixth consecutive month, the real estate market in the Fraser Valley has experienced property sales at levels that have never been seen before. And that's in the 100-year history of the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board. So what is fueling this frenzy? Chris Shields joins me on the line, president of the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Jill. Uh, pleasure to be here. So is this... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I just think, is this, again, what we've been talking about? People are able to perhaps move, wanting that space, working from home and flocking to the Fraser Valley? 
Yes, Jill. I mean, it is uh, astounding the sales that we're seeing, as you mentioned, six months in a row of record-breaking sales for our board. Uh, But you asked why is that happening, and I think there's a a perfect storm here of reasons. One is, uh, first of all, government-controlled interest rates. It's almost free to borrow money for, for our buyers right now. And secondly, due to the pandemic, we're seeing some sort of a societal shift in housing demand where people want more usable space and now they have greater flexibility where they can work from home and also a better value in the Fraser Valley. Your housing buck goes way farther in the, in the Fraser Valley. And uh, finally, I think our industry has done an excellent job at keeping our consumers and our clients safe, uh, using embr- embracing technology more than we normally have and implementing WorkSafe BC safety protocols for showings. Uh, You mentioned uh, you get more bang for your buck, and I guess that must be one of the concerns, though, as more and more people are moving, the demand goes up, are we seeing prices go up as well? Yeah, definitely uh, we're seeing upward pressure on prices because we have a supply shortage right now and unprecedented demand. So when you combine those, it does give us uh, significant uh, year-over-year price increases. So buyers and sellers really need expert guidance in this particular market. Uh, what are the prices looking right, looking like right now, say if somebody is looking for, a, say, even a detached home? Well, I believe the um, average uh, price of a detached home in the Fraser Valley is around about a million dollars. Um, so, but there, you know, having said that, there are uh, properties available for below that amount uh, all across the valley. As you know, we, we serve six different regions in the, in the Fraser Valley. Are you seeing the same type of thing? We talked about this, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago on the show uh, in other parts of Metro Vancouver, uh, where not only are there bidding wars that are becoming the norm again, but in some cases, homes are going for $500,000, many uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars above the asking price. Are you seeing that in the Fraser Valley as well? Yes, we are seeing multiple offers and uh, homes selling well above their asking price. That is happening. Another reason why a consumer needs the expert guidance of a professional to help them through this. And what specifically then, like you said, kind of this perfect storm and, and people might be getting into the market for the first time because they're able to with those low interest rates and they're able to move a bit further out and stretch that dollar. So what are the key things then that people have to keep in mind if they're in that scenario? Well, what I'm telling my buyers is the first step is to go and get pre-approved. Get your financing in a row. I tell them to get their ducks in a row, basically, and maybe go out and purchase a bank draft for your deposit. Like, there's certain steps that they can do ahead of offer presentation that will help to make their offer stronger than the other ones they're competing against. So we, we also do a ton of research behind the scenes, phoning other listing agents and asking questions about what what their listing sold for, how many showings they had, et cetera, um, and how many offers that generated. So we do our research behind the scenes so that we can give the buyer all the information that they need that they can make an informed decision. Uh, I was looking at some of the numbers uh, that were released as well, uh, saying that uh, there were more than 3,200 new listings in February, and that was an increase, so it was at 28% over February of last year. Uh, So is that people that are seeing this, maybe people who have lived there for decades, uh, maybe they're downsizing and and thinking that this is a good time to perhaps uh, move to their retirement community or move to a different, uh, trying to kind of cash out? I think there's some of that happening, Joe. I think there's a lot of people that are seeing equity gains in their property and maybe even some first-time buyers. Like I've got a a young lady who sold a condo in Langley City just last week. I sold her condo, and she had only lived there for three to four years, and she already saw uh, realized an equity gain of $100,000, which 
she's using as a down payment for a townhouse to move up. There's a demand for more space during this pandemic. And supply is improving. In fact, we had the second highest influx of new listings in the past decade in February. But it's just not enough to keep up with demand. Is it also because I know in the past we've talked a lot about transit and let's face it, the Fraser Valley has not been the priority when it comes to connecting to Metro Vancouver to making sure the transit is more readily available for commuters. Uh, Do you think it's because also, like you said, people looking for space during the pandemic and working from home don't need to depend on that as much anymore? I think you've got a really good point there, Jill. I mean, uh, we're still hoping to get the infrastructure out in the Fraser Valley. We do need the transit, but more and more people are seeing as they work from home, there's, there's less of a requirement for commuting. Uh, you mentioned safety uh, as well. And one of the first things we talked about uh, in the beginning of the pandemic almost a year ago and now was open houses had been scaled back, had been cancelled in many t- uh, many uh, scenarios. A lot of viewings had gone online, had gone virtual. Uh, do you think things like that are here to stay? I do. I think that the tools that we are embracing as realtors are here to stay. And it means that buyers can be more safe and view properties from the safety and comfort and convenience of their own home and look at virtual tours and so on. So we're, we're embracing the technology. Our, our industry has been a leader in this regard for a long time. And public safety is of paramount concern for us at the board. And because we were deemed an essential service, our industry has taken a lead role in this area since the pandemic began. Realtors must implement personal safety protocols for all their showings. Uh, where do you see it going from here and that we've talked about this and this new information as far as the, the number record number of sales uh, in the history of the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board with all of these things changing and with the prices now we see going up in the Fraser Valley does that mean the next big area is going to be hope are people going to start going to merit where do you see this going That's an excellent question, Jill. I really wish I had a crystal ball. The demand we are seeing is largely a response to the pandemic combined with inadequate supply plus rock bottom interest rates. Our experts have forecast a strong year in 2021 for sales in our region and higher prices. BCREA projects sellers will have more confidence to list once the vaccinations further roll out. So where where it's going to end, I don't know, Jill. But uh, you know, you could speculate that maybe maybe hope is the next Chilliwack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us to talk about this. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. We have been talking a lot on this program about in-person church services. Some churches have been going ahead. They've been given fines. It has made its way to the courts, a challenge saying that the rules are discriminating against churches and that some form of in-person religious services following COVID-19 safety protocols should be allowed. Well, let's bring in Jay Cameron, litigation director at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jill. Uh, what's the latest? Where do things stand right now in uh, this fight about in-person services? We're in day two of a three-day hearing. It wraps up tomorrow, and uh, I have yet to debrief with the lawyers uh, who are in the courtroom right now, uh, but uh, the arguments are being made with respect to the, constitution- the constitutionality of these orders and the differential treatments with respect to the way that Dr. Henry is treating uh, churches vis-a-vis other members of society. Uh, were you able to, to chat with them after the first day to see how they felt the first day went? 
Uh, we debriefed uh, briefly, um, but, you know, they're midstream and midstride. So, uh, you know, I'll wait till the end of today to talk to them more <laughs> comprehensively. But there's a lot of different arguments that they're making. But specifically, they're, they're, they're making arguments with respect to the, uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and Section 2A and 2C. Uh, the right to uh, uh, your the rights that are protected under uh, 2A are freedom of conscience and religion, and uh, 2C is your right to assemble, and uh, that includes your right, uh, incidentally, to assemble for the purposes of seeking a redress uh, for public grievances, uh, which is becoming increasingly important um, in Canada uh, because of the authoritarian rule of these uh, physicians. And what do you say to uh, the argument, and I'm guessing that this is going to form part of the argument by uh, the government side of things, uh, with people who are fearful that events like this could lead to the spread of the disease and could put other people and people in these gatherings in harm? I would say that social governance involves a lot of different factors, and uh, medical considerations only are one factor. There are all sorts of other factors. The cure cannot be worse than the disease. And so, uh, you know, doctors only know about one thing. They know about illnesses. And if doctors were in charge of society, they'd lock everybody in their house and never let them come out. And there would never be any transmission of illness whatsoever. Uh, but there are all sorts of other considerations that go into uh, a, a, a constitutional and democratic governance model like Canada has. There are considerations of trade and commerce and uh, domestic tranquility and the Constitution. And, you know, Dr. Bonnie, with all due respect to her, rules in an arbitrary fashion. She's one unelected, indiv- she's one unelected individual. And, you know, she has decided, for example, that gyms, which have four times the rate of transmission, uh, they can be open. Uh, schools are open. Churches have four times less transmission than gyms, but they're closed for indoor, indoor services. And churches have a right. You know, people who are practicing their religion, that's Section 2A is the first fundamental right guaranteed in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And, and they're not open. And why? Is it because the legislature weighed in and decided that? No. It's because one person decided that schools have to be closed. And that's not how democracy works. And that's not how the legal system in Canada works heretofore. And I think people need to understand that uh, there is one law for all Canadians, and it's called the Constitution. And uh, Dr. Bonnie should read it because it says it's the supreme law in Canada, not her orders. And I think that the legislatures, uh, the legislators in B.C. need to refresh their memory about that as well. And, uh, you know, the Constitution being the supreme law in Canada and the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is very important if you're making laws for millions of people. And right now it's totally being disregarded. Uh, what do you say to her comments uh, that she's confident the health orders are in accordance with the law, including uh, the charter? Uh, she also said, uh, and I believe this was last month, that there were safety measures. And in uh, several months ago, churches were open to doing in, uh, in-person worship. But uh, she said as the pandemic worsened, as we saw more and more numbers of cases, they did see more transmission in uh, faith settings. Yeah, there's still far less than gyms and gyms are open. So how does she explain that? Uh, I'm not sure that there is a way for her to explain it. And the other thing is, Jill, is that Dr. Bonnie is not a lawyer. She's not a judge. She's not schooled in the Constitution. and But right now, she's the one in charge. And so the buck stops with her. And, you know, court actions are all about accountability. It's about calling officials onto the floor to explain why they're doing things. And ultimately speaking, their actions are going to be weighed against the supreme law in Canada. 
And, uh, you know, people in power forget that there is a law above themselves, which is precisely why there is a law above themselves, because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, do you do you also think that the messaging has has been confusing in that I, I one of the first things I thought of was this court challenge and the the fighting uh, for, by many religious leaders to keep uh, to reopen and to have in person worship. Uh, this past weekend, there was a party shut down in downtown Vancouver where seventeen people were found inside of a condo uh, at a gender reveal party. And one of the comments from the responding officers or the media relation officers was they could have gone outside. It was a beautiful day. They could have gone outside and distanced and done this in a safe way, which is technically, which is also against the rules right now, the rules as they are. And, and I thought of that and thought, I wonder how the church community feels if that's the messaging being given to people, because that's, uh, that's something I think that's been told to the church community. That's not even allowed either. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that our clients have bent over absolutely backwards. They have doubled themselves up trying to comply with Dr. Henry's orders and comply with their religious obligations. They've done, you know, they're, they're not, you know, the, the, a church service at one of our clients' churches is the furthest thing from the gender reveal party. And so for the police to say, well, you can, you can break the law in a different fashion is, again, it just it shows the nonsensical nature of some of these requirements. Uh, where do you expect things to go from here? Like you said, there's another day of this hearing scheduled. Do you know, uh, in, do we have anything to base it on that we think it will be a speedy decision or we'll know if there is any change coming? Given the seriousness of the interests uh, and the fact that there are fundamental rights and freedoms at play, and this is, a, this is an issue of broad societal implication, We expect that the decision will be sooner rather than later, but I don't have a timeline, unfortunately. And I know we don't like hypotheticals, but if if we can look ahead, if this isn't successful, are there other avenues these churches can take? That's what appeal courts are for. All right, Jay, we'll leave it there for today. Uh, We'll be waiting to see what the decision is on this, but thanks so much for coming on the show to uh, talk about this. My pleasure, Jill. Thanks for having me.